Like I said, we are starting a new sermon series, but we're going to start in Exodus. So starting in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. So why Leviticus? We had 66 or 65 books to pick from. We just finished uh, 1 Peter. So why Leviticus? Here are a few reasons why. As you may know, we flip-flop between the Old and New Testaments. So we wanted to go back to the Old Testament. We also wanted a shorter book. Because these sermons, uh, because the evening services are once or sometimes twice a month, I didn't think we had the stamina for a five-year series through Ezekiel or something like that. And as Maggie pointed out to me earlier, we are just reading from Leviticus 1.1, but we're not planning to, to go verse by verse. That would take a long time. We're going to go much faster than that. So um, we wanted a shorter book. Also, since Justin is training to be a pastor, and because I'm a young preacher, I think it's valuable for us to learn how to preach different genres of Scripture. And one that we haven't done yet is, one that Justin and I haven't done yet, is the law or Torah. So the law or Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, which Troy preached through, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All of those are long books, and the shortest one is this one, Leviticus. And I spoke with David Kirtland, the pastor of Hershey PCA. Uh, Brad here is a member of Hershey PCA. And he said that he preached through Leviticus in about 12 or so sermons. You might know. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. And I thought, we could do that. 12 or so sermons through the book of Leviticus. We could do that. So that's, that's the plan. I'm also, I don't know about you, but I'm also interested in exploring new territory. Uh, like many of you, I've never studied this particular book in super depth. So I'm excited to study it with you. And as everyone says, it's a challenging book to read and to apply. Um, There's a reason why one pastor said that Leviticus is like the graveyard for Bible reading plans. (laughs) New Year's resolutions start out well and then meet stiff resistance in this book. There's a reason for that. It's really challenging. And, And we'll see that. And we'll need God's help as we study it together. But what do we believe about Scripture? All Scripture... All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, so that you 
the people of God, so that we, the people of God, are equipped for every good work. So let's depend on the Spirit and study this book together. Let me say at the beginning here that it's more important than we realize. It's more important than I thought at first. It's actually at the very heart of the Torah. It's at the center of the first five books of the Bible. And at the center of Leviticus is one thing in particular, the Day of Atonement. If you have your worship guide, look briefly at the Reflections page. This is page two. There are two charts. In the first chart, do you see how everything flows to and from Leviticus? Everything flows to and from Leviticus. And then in the second chart, do you see how everything in Leviticus flows to and from the Day of Atonement? So this book is actually more important than we realize. And I hope that by the end of the sermon, you'll start to have a glimpse of why. Why is it that this book is so important? I won't tell you now, but hopefully by the end of even this sermon, you'll start to see, oh, maybe that's why it's so important. So, with all that said, let's study Leviticus, but let's not start in Leviticus, let's start in Exodus, the immediate context. And I'm going to show... Two things in these verses, and then we'll turn to chapter 1 of Leviticus. But these verses in Exodus introduce two things. First, they introduce a historic, cataclysmic event. Something happens in these verses that hasn't happened since the Garden of Eden. Second, these verses introduce a, in a sense, a terrifying dilemma. Something happens in these verses that poses a huge problem. A huge problem. And then finally, as we'll see in Leviticus 1.1, the Lord will start to see the Lord's answer to the problem. His resolution to to the dilemma. So, let's jump in, starting with the context, Exodus 40. Like I said, these verses introduce a cataclysmic, historic, breathtaking event. Something happens in these verses that hasn't happened since the Garden of Eden. What happens? God comes to dwell with his people. Verse 34 says this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. As the book of Exodus comes to a close, every verse mentions the cloud. Five times. The cloud, the cloud, the cloud, the cloud, the cloud. It represents God's presence that has now covered the tent of meeting. The Almighty God has come down from heaven and now dwells with man on earth. When was the last time this happened? The Garden of Eden. In the beginning, Adam and Eve enjoyed face-to-face fellowship with God. He held out to them the prospect of consummate, everlasting life in his presence if, if they would obey him and not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
they ate from that tree. They disobeyed and were cast out of his presence. And as we look at the book of Genesis as a whole, we see that it begins in a garden. And where does it end? It ends in a grave. The last words of Genesis are, and Joseph was put in a coffin in Egypt. The movement of Genesis is from life to death, from the garden to the grave. But God, as the book of Exodus begins, God hears the groaning of his enslaved people. He redeems them. He brings them out of Egypt. He leads them to Mount Sinai. There he makes a covenant And he promises to dwell with his people. Where? Where will he dwell with his people? In the tabernacle. It says in Exodus, the Lord says, There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. God will dwell with his people again. This is the goal of creation. This is the goal of the covenant. God will dwell with his people. And how does the book of Exodus end? The cloud descends on the tabernacle and God dwells with his people again. We could say in a true, real sense that Eden has been regained. God with his people again. In a sense, God has moved next door. He's right there. And he's here to stay. Verse 36, 37 and 38, drive home the the permanence of God's presence. He's with his people to stay. Once again, starting in verse 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the cloud, till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. When would God be with his people? Throughout all their journeys. All their journeys. By day and by night. And where is he so faithfully leading them? Where is he leading them? To the promised land. These themes remind us of the whole point of redemption. Why did God so graciously redeem you? Why did he so mercifully redeem you and me? Why did he send his son, the image of God, the radiance of his glory, to take on flesh and die on a cross and rise and ascend to heaven for you. Why? So that you might see his glory. So that you might be with him. Do you remember what Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer? Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where, with me where I am, to see my glory. You have been redeemed to see and enjoy the glory of God. So consider once again God's great love for you, brothers and sisters. He redeems you. He redeemed you because he wants you to be with him forever. 
God wants you to be with him forever, seeing his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That is the Father's love for you. He will be with you then, and he is with you now, tonight. The Spirit of God dwells within you. And as he was with Israel, he is with you in all of your wilderness journeys. He's with you by day, and he's with you by night. In the hard things that overwhelm you, he's near. In the constant drip of daily frustrations and disappointments, he is there. In your victories and struggles, in your flailings and failings, he's there. He's near. He's with you by day and by night. He is faithfully guiding you and all of his people to the promised land. As the book of Exodus closes, God is dwelling with his people again. But it's God's presence that now poses a huge problem. Did you hear it in verse 35? And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter. Why is that such a big problem? Because Moses is the mediator between a holy God and a sinful people. Listen to one short account from the book of Exodus. This is when the people assemble at Mount Sinai. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in a fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Moses went up. Moses is the mediator. He's the go-between. He represents God to the people and the people to God. While the people tremble, and while the whole mountain shakes, what does Moses Moses do? He goes up. He ascends. He goes up the mountain into God's holy presence. He goes up into the billowing smoke and the roaring flames. He goes up the mountain. He's the mediator. And a few chapters later, what happens when God's people commit apostasy? What happens when they bow down to a golden calf? God, rightfully so, he threatens to consume them with his holy wrath. And what does Moses do? He intercedes. He intercedes for the people. And God relents. Now the cloud and fire has descended from the mountain... And dwells in the tabernacle. 
Yahweh, the Lord, has moved next door, and Moses, of all people, can't go in. He can't go in. The holy God is dwelling with his sinful people and with no mediator to intercede for the people in God's presence. What will happen to them? What will happen? What will prevent the holy God from destroying and consuming his sinful people? Imagine the prospect of God dwelling with you if you had no mediator. Moses foreshadows Jesus Christ, the mediator who reconciles God and man. Apart from Christ, how could God dwell with you and his wrath not consume you? As one of God's redeemed and precious saints, you continue to sin. And it's not just that God has moved next door in all of his holiness. The spirit of the living God dwells within you, and yet you stand against him. With no mediator, what would become of you? What would become of us? Moses is not able to enter. Without a mediator, what will become of God's people? Is there a way for God to dwell with his people without consuming them? Is there a way for you and me to be in God's very presence? Is there a way for us to be that close to God? For us to dwell with Him? To meet with Him? Is there a way? Yes, there is a way. And that's what the book of Leviticus is all about. That's what Leviticus is all about. The Lord, as we'll see in this book, has opened a way for you to dwell in his presence. The Lord has opened a way for you to see his glory and to commune with him. So this is what we'll see in the book of Leviticus going forward. And as a prelude to that, we'll look at verse 1 this evening. So we start to see in verse 1 the answer, God's answer to the problem. The problem of this huge gap between a holy God and a sinful people. What's the answer? How can we meet with God? So, how can we get into God's presence? Is there a way? Let me point out three things that we see in verse 1. First, if there's going to be a way, it must be revealed by God. In verse 1, notice how three different words are used for God's speech. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying... Verse 1 begins with this threefold emphasis on God's speech. And get this, no other book of the Bible contains more direct speech from God himself. All of it's breathed out by God. But this book has the most direct speech. It just goes and goes and goes. So the point is this. The only way into God's presence must be revealed by Him. The way into God's presence is not invented by us. It's revealed by God. Apart from special revelation, 
There's no communion with God. There's only one way into God's presence, and that way is revealed by Him. The second thing we learn is this. Revelation requires a mediator. In verse 1, the Lord speaks, and who does He speak to? Moses, the mediator. He's still there. The Lord has opened a way, and that way is revealed to the people Revealed to the people of God by a mediator. At that time, it was Moses, and Moses foreshadowed Jesus, who revealed the way. The way into God's presence is none other than in and through Jesus Christ, the way. Finally, verse 1 reminds us of the whole point of God dwelling with his people. From where did the Lord speak to Moses? From the tent of meeting. From the tent of meeting. The tent is called the tent of meeting. It's also called the tabernacle. Listen again to verses 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Here and elsewhere, it appears that the choice of words, it's not random, it's intentional. Tabernacle highlights the place where God dwells. In a sense, it's like his address. Where God dwells. Tent of meeting highlights the goal of God dwelling with his people. What's the whole point of God dwelling or tabernacling with his people? What's the whole point? So that they, so that we can meet with him. Or have fellowship with him. Have communion with him. That's the whole point. What can Moses not enter? The tent of meeting. But in verse 1, from where does the Lord speak to Moses? From the tent of meeting. What we'll see in this book is how the tabernacle, this place where God dwells, becomes the tent of meeting. How the place of God's dwelling becomes the place of him meeting with his people. God dwells with his people and now reveals how they can come into his very presence and meet with him. So, perhaps to sum it up or to say it once again, as we see in Exodus, God has moved in next door in all of his glory, but the door is closed. You can't go in. No one can. As the book of Exodus ends, the Lord is not open to callers. But the book of Leviticus is all about how the Lord opens the front door. He makes it possible for you For you to enter in, to see God, to have fellowship with him. In other words, a way is now open for you and me, redeemed sinners, to meet with God. As we saw earlier, Leviticus is at the very heart of the first five books 
of the Bible. Can you start to see why? Why is Leviticus so very important? How is this insuperable gap between a holy God and a sinful people to be bridged? How can redeemed but sinful people meet with a holy God? By the way revealed in this book. In this book. Praise God. The Lord has opened a way for us to meet with 